I'm going to share with you the bread of life from Leviticus chapter 24, 5 through 9. Stand with me for the reading of the word. The bread of life, Leviticus chapter 24, 5 through 9. Take a good look at that picture. That's the table of, what is it called? Showbread. Twelve loaves, six on each side. With incense. Basically, incense would have been placed right on top. So the word of our Lord. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows. Six on a row upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of an offering of the Lord made by fire, by perpetual statute. Heavenly Father... We pray, Lord God, this night, Lord, again, great revelation, Lord, it all speaks about you, the Tanakh, and Father God, we pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds to the richness, Lord, there's a wealth, there's just a wealth, Lord God, of blessing and knowledge and wisdom in this passage, and we ask, Lord God, that you would do this and enrich our lives tonight, in the name of Yeshua, we pray this, amen. So you can be seated. So... I just want to, again, Jesus reiterating over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, right, that the Tanakh, the Old Testament, spoke about him. So, I mean, I, I know maybe you feel like I'm beating a dead horse when I teach this over and over and over because it's such a significant part of my walk with the Lord. As I read, you know, Torah every morning, Psalms every morning, the prophets every morning, and God reveals his son over and over again to me. 365 Old Testament passages, okay, that are prophetic prophecies about Jesus. There are multiple typologies, 40 or more. And, you know, I keep, if people say, well, you said 300 last month. Well, that's because I'm learning more and more. John chapter 539, Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. He's talking to the Pharisees here. And these are they which testify of me. Again, the Old Testament scriptures. In Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 18, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, and I always think of Lenny when I'm teaching this, not one, a jot or tittle, not John jot, that's a, that's, a common, that's a comma or an accent mark, will by no means pass from the law till it is fulfilled. Like we were looking at, remember the, the four feasts that have been fulfilled, the feast of the spring, and then the three feasts of the fall that have not yet been fulfilled, but they will be fulfilled, I believe, very soon. In Luke chapter 24, 44 through 45, when Jesus was raised from the dead, his appearance to the apostles, notice one of the key things that he did. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. By the way, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that is where we get the name, the Hebrew name, for the Old Testament. And that is Tanakh. Let's take a look at that. Here's a, a great little illustration. Uh, the books of Tanakh. So, you have the law, that's Torah. That's the T, it's an acronym. 
So you have the, the five books of the Torah. Then you have the prophets, the Nebhim. And if you look at Nebhim, notice a little different than what we would classify the prophets as. We would classify the major prophets and the 12 minor prophets. But notice Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, and then the later prophets, and we would, again, we would get into here Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12. Notice Daniel's left out of there, according to Tanakh. And then the writings, the Kethabim, and you have the poetical books, Psalms, Proverbs, Job. You have the, what they call the Megaloth, the five roles, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Esther, and Ecclesiastes. And then the historical books, Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And by Ezra and Nehemiah, one book in Tanakh. By the way, there's no Second Samuel, it's Samuel. There's no Second Chronicles, it's Chronicles. Okay, there's no Second Kings, it's Kings. But that is where we get Tanakh. So in Jesus, what he was saying in Luke chapter 24, 44 to 45, he said, Tanakh, all of Tanakh, <laughs> spoke about me. Everything, right? The, the Torah, the, the prophetic books, the Psalms, that all speaks about me. And uh, he affirmed that. So, coming to where we are in our, our text tonight in Leviticus 24, so you have the tabernacle, right? This is the, the tabernacle that they would basically... They would set up, they would break down as they wandered through the wilderness, okay, the 40 years. And um, you have here in the outer court, you have the, and it was basically a court, the, the court of men, but you have the altar, okay, brazen altar where the sacrifices would be made. You see the animals here, they would actually sacrifice them on the tables, put them there. And then the bronze labor that the priests would wash in. Now, if you go into, right, we go into... The, um, holy, uh, the holy place, you have the outer right uh, holy place here, and you have three articles of furniture. Okay, you have the table of showbread, the candelabra, and then the altar of incense. The curtain, right, and then you have the Ark of the Covenant. The curtain was torn, right, in the temple when Jesus died which gives us, again, access to the holy of holies through him. The way it was laid out it was laid out in the form of a cross. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Really, very simple. Uh, brazen altar, uh, the uh, brazen laver. And then again, you come into the holy place, the, uh, the golden um, altar of incense, the golden lampstand, and the table of showbread. And then you had the Ark of the Covenant. So if you know that, when I've showed you this, the entire structure of Israel and the tribes was laid out in a cross as well. So in the holy place, you have the table of showbread. Actually, you would say it's show, like show, showbread. And what does it mean? What does showbread mean? There's three passages that give us insight. The first, Exodus 25, 30. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. The bread of the presence, the showbread. What is it? The presence of God or, or in the presence of God. Jesus, he is Emmanuel, right? God with us. Isaiah chapter 7, 14. We see that in, um, in Matthew chapter 1, 21. But it, it, the, he's always present with the Father. And so it's it, it just the, the bread of the presence. Then in 1 Chronicles 9, 32, it says some of the Kohathites, their fellow Levites, were in charge of preparing for every Sabbath the bread set out on the table. It's the bread of preparation. 
You see in the New Testament passages, Hebrews 10.5, where it says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. That, that body of Jesus. By the way, the entire Old Testament is a preparation. It is, it is the preparation of redemption. The, uh, the actual accomplishment of, of redemption you see in the Gospels. The proclamation of redemption is in the book of Acts. The explanation of redemption is in the epistles. And the finalization of redemption is in the book of the Revelation. It's an entire book of redemption. But you see the preparation of Messiah in the Old Testament. The virgin birth was a preparation, right? He had to be a sinless savior, pure. And then the incarnation, right? The incarnation, God in the form of man. That is a preparation. He is the perfect, blameless, sinless Messiah. So it is a, a preparation. The bread is, again, it's a foreshadow of the very preparation of the bread of life. And then in 1 Samuel chapter, one, chapter 21, verse 3 through 6, we see, see the situation where David and his men actually ate the showbread. They were hungry. And by the way, Jesus justified that in the New Testament. If somebody's hungry, let them have the showbread. But I want you to notice here, it's called consecrated bread. See in verse 4? But, but the, I'll pick up in verse 4. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided uh, the men have kept themselves from women. Verse 6. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence, the bread of showbread. Okay, the consecrated bread. Who knows what the word consecrated is? The key word. Kodosh. Holiness, holy, the Kodosh, God, God, holy, 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 Kodosh, Kodosh, Kodosh is the Lord God Almighty. It is the, it is the bread of, of holiness. Again, what is Jesus? He is the holy and anointed one. Jesus is the, he's the Kodosh Mashek Neged. He is the holy Messiah. And um, beautiful, beautiful again, a picture. So let's look at the text. The first thing it's unleavened bread. Okay, the showbread was unleavened. We see that. You can see that in other passages. But here in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake uh, 12 cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be in one cake. So there's, there is no leaven. What is leaven always a symbol of? Sin. Right? Hypocrisy. The, the, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the scribes, the leaven of the Sadducees, the leaven of Herod. It's, it's a symbol of sin. The, the, the showbread has, right again, it's, it's pure, no leaven in it. Again, symbolic of Jesus. He had no sin. Hebrews chapter 4, 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. And you see that reiterated by Peter. You see it reiterated by John. You see it reiterated in the book of Hebrews. He is the sinless Savior. Twelve loaves. And it says in verse 6, Thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. So, two rows of six. You have the number 12. And you have the number 12 actually over 187 times in the Bible the number 12 is used. So again, it's, it's, it's a, key, a key, key word. What does 12 usually, in fact, I would say 90% of the time, represent? What? 
You know, when I hear, when, whenever I do this, I, say, I have to stop them. Because all I hear is, that's what I hear. I, I need the interpretation of tongues. Okay? I speak in tongues, but I don't interpret them. <laughs> Let me say, it, it, whenever you see it in Scripture, leadership. Did anybody say that? Nobody. Did anybody say authority? Twelve apostles, right? The foundation of the church. The twelve son of Jacob, right? You have the, the twelve patriarchs from Shem to Jacob. Twelve spies that go and spy out the land. Twelve judges in the book of Judges from Joshua to Samuel. Solomon appointed twelve leaders, twelve governors over Israel. Uh, Ezra set up 12 priests to lead after they returned from the captivity. The 144,000, right? A multiple of 12 in Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter uh, 16. So just, it's, it's, it always represents leadership and authority. Think of the showbread, right? The bread of life. Who is he? What is the typology of? It's a typology of he who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Right? Revelation chapter 19, 16. He is our ultimate authority. He is our ultimate leader. The leader of all leaders. The Lord of all lords. The king of all kings. And again, you see that in the showbread. Number three, the, the pure frankincense. So in Leviticus chapter 24, 7, it says, and thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Faith, I was thinking about you when I was doing this, because when I was teaching on this, going back to Exodus, sometimes people read that, and I remember your face, because you gave a look, like, you know when somebody puts, uh, or somebody tells you of a food they eat that really disgusts you, and Faith kind of looked at it, and she was like, now, frankincense, right, it's really not edible. Though to it, some tribes around the world have used it as a medicine, and they will put it in their mouth, soften it with saliva, and chew on it. Um, I don't know if it has any medicinal, you know, medicinal you know, effect. But if you, if you understand, it wasn't put on the bread, you know, those rocks on the bread, and then the priests ate it. Because that's what it sounds like, right? Did you, do, you, do you realize what they did with it? Because that's, that's not, like if you get and you dig into the passage, what it was is the Lord instructed them to make these, basically these, these cups, these dishes. Now I want you to, to look closely here. So there, there are the incense, uh, you, you know, they're the incense cups. And then they would burn the incense, perpetual, perpetual fire unto the Lord. So it wasn't them putting the incense onto the bread and then eating it, which would have been, I think, really quite disgusting. So this is more of what it would, would look like. It would have looked like this. And then again, they would, they would light it, and it would create the sweet aroma, the sweet-smelling aroma that would fill the tabernacle. What does it tell us in, in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, 2? And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. His death on the cross was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. 
You know, it provided that, that, that satisfaction of the wrath of God and gave to us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. So really, again, beautiful typology. I want to give you another passage that just kind of correlates. 2 Corinthians 2.15 For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. When we are living, we're living out our faith. Right? We're, being, we're being witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's, our lives become a sweet aroma. Right? Think about it. You want your life to be a sweet aroma unto the nostrils of the Lord, not a stench. <laughs> right? Key thing. Okay, number four. It's an everlasting covenant. Verse uh, 8 of Leviticus 24. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. We have a problem here because it ended in 70 A.D. When Romans, the Titus and the Roman legions, they entered into Jerusalem, they, they destroyed the temple. Okay, it, it became the end of all sacrifice. It became the, the end of the priest going in on the Day of Atonement and offering up the blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat. It became the end of the incense continuously burning before the Lord, this, this continuous, again, process of the baking of the 12 loaves and bringing them in on the Sabbath and the preceding them, it, it, it came to an end. So it's not continuous. If you're Jewish, you're Orthodox Jew, this is a problem. This is a problem. Because it said, did, did the Lord lie? Did the Lord make a mistake? Did the Lord not know what, what he was revealing to Moses when he gave him this passage, verse 8, that it would be one continuous, right? It's, it, it is to be done continuously, an everlasting covenant. Of course, we, we understand, right? What, what does that mean? Because essentially, Jesus is the bread of life. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He is the fulfillment of the showbread. He is the bread of the presence. He is the bread that has been prepared, and he is the, the bread of Kodash. He is the holy bread. And we come to him, and what does he do? He, he nourishes us. He, he feeds us. And notice the word, the word comes, he who comes to me, erkomi. In the Greek. You know what that means? It's not you come once and never again. You've got to continuously come to him to be, to be nourished. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Not ten years ago, five years ago, three days ago. You must come continuously to him to be nourished. This is again, this is relationship. You must come into his presence. Not a one-time thing. Just exactly what, exactly what was said in Leviticus chapter 24. It's continuous, it's everlasting, and ultimately, again, this typology of what you see in Leviticus chapter 24 is ultimately fulfilled in Yeshua, who is the bread of life that we continuously come to, and he feeds us. Right? Breakfast with Jesus. Wednesday night dinner with Jesus at Living Word Community Church. We come to him and he, he, he feeds us. 
as we, as we worship, as we dig into his word, study it, memorize it, apply it to our lives, as we commune with him, as we pray, right? if you get away from that, I just want you to think, how long can you go without food? They say about 40 days before you die, right? But you start to wither pretty quickly. Usually I find if, if I fast, usually get this burst of energy, and then all of a sudden the energy starts to wither away. And when a person is getting away from that communion, that fellowship, that intimacy, and again, that feeding, being in a place, they will slowly wither away and begin to die. They die. So people uh, just, you know, the, the argument, I've shared this, the, the argument of Calvinism and Arminianism. You know, can you lose your salvation, save forever, and... Um, I'll just, I, 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 take, I take a view that if you abide in Christ, <laughs> you're saved. So if you stop abiding in Christ, you wither. I mean, look, look what it, Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, verse 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, and without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. Right? If, if you don't remain in him, in that intimacy, you, you begin to wither. You ever see, you see that happen? I was just talking to my wife about it. I've seen people, I've seen this happen here. Right? Usually they, it usually starts, they neglect the word. They're not in the word daily. And um, then they start, you know, they start missing services. And um, sometimes, you know, they're missing the midweek or Bible study or something. there, And then they start missing Sunday services. And you don't see them. And they're withering. And again, the, argu- the argument, well, were they saved? Are they, have they lost their salvation? I leave that to God. I don't worry. But I notice a lot of people who are worried, always, always in the argument, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Nobody can snatch me from, uh, from your hand. I just notice that people who do that, I think they're trying to convince themselves. I'm kind of worried. I don't worry about, I don't worry about going to hell. I, I just I continue to abide in Jesus. Sometimes imperfectly. Poorly, weakly, feebly, humbly. But as you, as you abide in Jesus, you know, to me, that, that's it. So if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And that's about as plain and simple as that, as that can be. He's talking about hell. But he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and I want you to notice that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, notice the correlation and the connection between abiding in Jesus and his words abiding in you. When you stop abiding in the word, you're no longer allowing him to feed you. You wither. You begin to wither away. And uh, the further you get away from allowing him to feed you, nourish you, further you get away from, again, from him, right? Abide in me and abide in my words, right? My word abides in you. In you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So just as we abide in him and as his word abides in us, right? He's the bread of life. He's feeding us. We, we thrive. We become fruitful. 
We don't wither. Get away from that, and you will begin to wither away, and you will die. And again, no arguing, well, was the person saved? Was the person not saved? Look, man, again, God is going to explain that to me later on. All I know is, uh, you know, my doctor, the doctrine that Jesus gave me is the doctrine of abiding. So if the person's truly saved, they're going to abide. If they're not saved, I guess they're going to wither away. But uh, we just focus on abiding. Being, it's, it's a joy abiding in the Lord, being with him, communing with him. Okay, last point here. Showbread for priests only. Get that one down. For priests only. It shall be, verse 9, Aaron and his sons. And they shall eat it in the holy place. For it is most holy unto him as an offering of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. It is only for the priests. It's not for anybody else. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. And it is to be eaten in the kudosh place. You know, in a holy... I don't know, when you, when you feed on the word, or you come, you know, to church, it's easy to you know, feel like we're in a holy place. But whenever you come to the word, you're coming to the word in Kodosh, but in the presence of who? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly sacred thing. It's the most holy experience. My, my most holy experience that I experience in my life is breakfast with Jesus. It's the most my, my most... I'm alone with him. My wife is alone with him in another place. And we have just this time with him. And it is an experience of kudosh. It's a sacred time. It's a holy time. And again, look here, a perpetual statute. That it's something that that we experience, right? And we go on experiencing continuously. His death on the cross made a way for us, right? As priests... To sup with him, to have breakfast with him, or snacks, or little niblets, or as you go through the day, right? You're busy, and it just could be a little niblet of the word. <laughs> but his death on the cross created a way for us to have that experience. And we, we are his priests. By the way, you know, if you understand Exodus 19, he called all Israel his priests, not just the Levites. But we, as New Testament believers, we are a royal priesthood. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Do you know that you're special? (laughs) That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelously light. And that's that's a picture of being special. That's a picture of being privileged. In Revelation chapter 1, 5 through 6, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Right? How did it happen that we are priests because of what he did for us on the cross? Has made us a kingdom of priests. The word there, basilia. We are a basilia. A kingdom of, of priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. But we are, again, a kingdom of priests, and we minister 
right? As priests, tonight we minister. You're doing, you're ministering to the Lord as you're sitting at his feet like Mary and focusing on his word and allowing his spirit to speak into your life. You're going to, when you were worshiping, right? Praising him, you're ministering to him. When you're going to be praying in a few minutes, you're, you're, you're ministering. When you're sharing the gospel, and sharing the gospel with someone, it could be a believer or an unbeliever, you're ministering to him. And that is, that is uh, the privilege when we come to the word. Folks, we have been given this very special privilege as New Testament priests to know his word, understand his word, and be taught by the spirit his word. Have you noticed people out there, they don't have a clue? Right? Not, it's not a knockout. Neither did I before I became a priest in the kingdom. Look at John, John chapter 6, 68 through 69. So when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and this has been taken to say, oh no, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He's not talking about the Lord's Supper. He's, he's ta- the Lord's Supper was not instituted yet. That would happen some years later. So he's not, he's not talking about the Lord's Supper. And it's very simple. Again, when you study Scripture, study it in his context. Don't be listening to somebody who's, who's pulling things out of the air to make it mean what... And that's what the church has done to this now. Oh, no, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He's not talking about the Lord's Supper. And the context is very clear. In John chapter 6, 68 through 69. But Simon Peter answered him, right? right we know in, in, in 666, John 666, they deserted him. Right? They, they deserted, the multitude deserted him. And there are the handful of disciples still with him. And they deserted him because, right, they didn't want to hear about them having to feed upon him. Right? Of him, literally them taking his very life into themselves. They didn't want to hear that. They wanted bread. Well, they want to see a miracle. They wanted to show. So... Peter says to him, right? Jesus said, are you going to leave too? And he said, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Do you get that? What is the bread? He is the bread. His word is the bread. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the bread. And his word, his living words, are the bread. As we take them into our life, also... We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, when being tempted by Satan, what does he say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We feed upon the word of God. I want to show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with which the Holy Spirit teaches. You could be sitting here tonight, and you're listening to Frank Bolella, and you're getting nothing out of this message, because you are not in tune with the Holy Spirit and being taught by the Holy Spirit. So we, we need to be spirit-taught. He's our guide, he's our teacher. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Have I done that tonight? Why do we use why do you use all these scripture verses to make a point? Because that's what the Word of God tells us to do. <laughs> that's what Jesus did. 
That's what the apostles, you ever notice the apostles, they're always quoting scripture. Peter on Pentecost, right? Sunday when these 3,000 people came to know the Lord. He's using scripture to talk about Jesus being the Messiah, the one who would be raised from the dead. Scripture, right? Very important. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I'm not here to give you my opinions. I'm not here to tell you what I think. I'm here to tell you what the scripture says. And may I be submissive enough and in tune enough to the Spirit to make sure that I'm not taking Scripture out of context to make it mean what I want it to mean instead of what God wants it to mean. So here I'm I'm saying Yeshua is the fulfillment of the showbread. That's what I believe Scripture is saying. So we we use Scripture... Right? Comparing scriptural things with, spirit, with the spiritual, right? Using scripture to interpret scripture. Now watch. But the natural man, right? this is the natural man, the man without the spirit. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Before I was born again, again, it was foolishness. Remember when Jerry Palmieri, we were at Minetto's house, and Jerry said, <laughs> we're worldly people, and Jerry's a believer. And Jerry was witnessing to us, but Jerry said, can I read a psalm to you? And we all just froze. <laughs> oh, no, here comes the religious fanatic, and he's going to read Scripture to us. I think that's what he said. Let me read a psalm from Scripture. And when he read it, did you understand anything? I'm sitting watching uh, a football game with my two high school buddies. We were, Sue and I were married right over here in Dumont, just shortly before I was saved, in the fall of the year, uh, the, the, in January I would be saved. And um, we see John 3.16 right behind the goalpost. Remember they used to have the big John 3? John 3.16. So I had an old Dewey version, Catholic version, uh, that my mother had given me, and I went to John 3.16, it said, it said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And we did not understand that. It's just foolishness. Just total foolishness. Because we didn't have the Spirit. Once I accepted the Lord, and was born again, and the Spirit entered into me, suddenly <laughs> I'm reading Scripture, and I'm grasping things. Again, like a baby. Look a baby, little baby. And I'm grasping little, just little by little. I remember I began reading the Bible right away because the book I read, Power for Living, said you need to read the Bible. But I remember one day, shortly after accepting the Lord, I was reading the book of the genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And as I was reading that, all of a sudden it hit me that Jesus was the Messiah and that he came from David. He had humanity, human DNA. And suddenly that, that little verse hit me, but that was the Spirit revealing it to me because had I read it before I had the Spirit, I would not have understood it. So that's just, it, 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 we have been giving folks tremendous privilege, right? Look, just look, that last verse, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The newest, in the, the newest, the mind. We have, right, what is that saying? We have been given. We don't, not that we have, we're not God, 
But it's saying that we have been given this again, the Spirit of God, and this, this revelation to our minds, the mind of Christ. So we, we are just we are privileged priests. And because of what he did for us, we have the privilege of feeding upon the showbread, the bread of life, the Messiah, and being able to commune with him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Let's pray. The worship team can come up and close us. And um, I'm going to ask you to break up in groups tonight, pray in groups. Pray, pray, just pray against the spiritual forces of evil. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, rulers, in the high places. And we come against them, not with our own strength, but we come against them in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you, Lord God, for your word. And Lord God, as, as privileged priests, Lord God, let us, let us really become deeply identified in this great truth. Our identity, that th- this is who you've made us to be. This is our identity, Lord. This is our self-concept. Lord, impress it upon us. Let us live, Lord God, in this very special priestly privilege every day. And know, Lord God, that, that we have been given as priests access to you, to know you, to receive your revelations through your word into our hearts and our lives. We have been given the privilege, Lord God, of being able, Lord God, to call upon your power, your guidance, Lord, all of your provisions. What a privilege, what a privilege to be priests of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. Let's stand, if you haven't already. I am the God that healeth thee.
Father, thank you for this night, Lord, and your precious word, this gift of your Holy Spirit that dwells within and reveals truth, empowers, strengthens, and comforts us. Thank you, Lord. God, we just ask your blessing on this night, this time we have a prayer together. And Father, we pray that you would continue to heal those that need healing, encourage those that need a touch of encouragement, and let us be your hands and feet in doing so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.